If you would, grab a Bible and open with me to page 832. That's where you can find Matthew chapter 26. We're going to camp out there, keep your finger there for a couple of minutes till we get there. And while you're turning there, let me ask you this question. What's God's will for your life? You ever wondered that? And for that matter, uh, how can you be certain that the way that you're living is in line with God's will for your life? I think it's typical for us when we're younger to think ahead into our future and to wonder about the things that are uncertain, you know, to wonder about you know, who will marry, where will work, what job we'll have, where we'll live, all those kinds of things. It's pretty typical, and the result when we look forward into the future is usually some mix of things we know and some things that we don't know that are uncertain when we look ahead. I think there's something about the older that we get, we can look back with a little more clarity. We may be able to see things clearer, and yet it's very easy for us to wonder if the things that are clear are about the decisions that we made and the kind of people that we've become and the family that we've raised, if those things have been the right things. Inevitably, when we look back on our past, it's not uncertainty. There's a mixture of certainty and regret about what could have been different and what we should have done better. I was talking to somebody uh, the other afternoon. We were sitting outside in the lobby in the chairs next to the windows, and she was telling me about how she had lived here for a long time, was a part of our church family, and had moved away to another state, another time zone, watches online often, and said, you know, the decision I made at the time was a good one. I don't regret it. But the decision that I made as I look back now has come with all kinds of unintended consequences that I didn't see in the moment when I made the decision. I can't help but wonder if the will of God for you and for me is for more than just uncertainty, because that's inevitable, and regret, because that's inevitable the longer that you live. If the will of God isn't something that's really just, for that matter, for you. Here's what I'd like to do over the next few minutes of our time together to invite you to pray, thy will be done, and to make two major shifts in the way that you pray these words, often perhaps without thinking about them as one of the petitions that we run through in the Lord's Prayer. Here they are. Number one, from micro to macro. We'll talk about that in just a moment first. And second, that our prayers, our cries, which are so often surrendered, not only be surrendered, though they may start like that, they can be a cry of battle. And I think that if we can move from micro to macro, from a cry of surrender to a cry of battle, it will make you bold in the way that you pray, thy will be done. So first, from micro to macro. Now, I wanted to be sure about God's will for my life. I wanted to be certain about what he wanted and desired for me, and so I decided to ask ChatGPT what God's will is for me. And I said this. The great theologian responded after I asked, write a prayer for God's will. If you can't read in the back, let me read it to you. It says this. Dear Heavenly Father, in humble surrender, I lift my heart to you. 
seeking your divine will. Grant me the wisdom to discern your purpose and the strength to follow your path. May your perfect plan unfold in my life, guiding me with grace and love. I trust in your infinite wisdom and surrender my desires to your higher purpose. That's a little flowery for me, and I wanted to shorten it, so I said, make it shorter. <laughs> and uh, ChatGPT responds like this. Here's the prompt. Make it shorter. Here's the reply. Dear God, guide me in your will. Grant me wisdom and strength, and may your perfect plan unfold in my life. Amen. All right. Uh, may not be too reliable. ChatGPT. We can't check out its sources. I say that to say this, that so often when we think of the will of God or his plan for us, what do we think of? We think of us. And we think about the decisions that we, we need to make, and we think about the circumstances that we're in. We ask for a little less discomfort and a little more comfort and for things to go better. And for us to walk in line with some invisible line in the sand and hope that we aren't straying too far from it in the decisions that we're making. Typically, when we think of the will of God, we think of us. It's very micro. It's very personal. It's very small. I want to show you the way Martin Luther, in his explanation of this petition of the Lord's Prayer, describes the will of God. And I want you to pay attention to what you may find here in his explanation is conspicuously absent. Let's take a look. He asks, how is God's will done? And he answers the question with this reply. God's will is done when he breaks and hinders every evil plan and purpose of the devil, the world, and our sinful nature. We'll get back to that list in a few minutes. Which do not want us to hallow God's name or let his kingdom come. Okay? And then he goes on to say this. And his will is done. And when he strengthens and keeps us firm in his word and faith until we die, this is his good and gracious will. Okay. What's not here? We'll ask in a minute. What is here? What's not here? What's not here is really anything about you. I mean, if this plan is anything it involves you but it is not up to you it is up to him who's the subject of the sentences in yellow behind me it's not you it's who it's god when he breaks and hinders every evil plan when he strengthens and keeps us firm in his word and faith until we die this is his good and gracious will it is not about your comfort it is not about your circumstances it's not about the decisions that you make so much as it is about God and his cosmic plan which is way bigger than some personal invisible plan for your life it is about his plan to renew and redeem all of creation and that you might be included in that that he might strengthen you and keep you firm in his word and the gift of faith that you have by grace until you die this is his good and gracious will and if it is anything it involves you but it is not up to you and so when you pray, thy will be done, you can pray that with boldness, with confidence, 
and know that it is up to God, it is not up to you, and he is at work in this broken world fighting against the forces of evil and the prince of this world to keep you in the one true faith. That's what he wants for you, first and foremost, most of all, and that is way bigger and way more important than whether or not you should do this thing or that thing. And for that matter, if you did this thing or that thing, you you might make a mistake in either one. You might do right in either way. His plan for you, his will for you, his desire for you is that you would belong to him by grace. And with the power of his revealed will for your life and the commandments that that you might be moved and melted in repentance to live according to his good design as he shows us in the commandments which are made for your flourishing as a human being in his kingdom because you belong to him. I think so often our prayers are so small. Again, for our comfort, about our circumstances, about the decisions that we make, and that's fine. But let me invite you to move from micro to macro in the way that you pray and know that his plan for you is up to him. It's not up to you. And though hit by his grace, he has involved you in his good work that you might belong to him and live under him in his kingdom. That's number one, from micro to macro. Second one is from a cry a cry of surrender to a cry of battle. Now I think when we begin to pray, so often our prayers begin with the things that we think we need. Think, probably key word. And we lay out our list and we say, God, you know, here, here are the things that I need. Here's the things that the people who I care about, what they need. Could you be good? Could you... Could you deliver? Could you, could you let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? And I think that's fine. What inevitably happens, I think, for us when we pray is that some period of time goes by where we are praying for those things, and those things aren't things that we get, aren't things that we receive. Maybe we forget to pray for those things. And then... Uh, we kind of, either at the end of our prayer or after a certain period of time praying that same prayer, kind of go, well, God, you know, I guess this is, maybe this is your will, maybe this isn't, may your will be done. We kind of do this sort of humble surrender, this sort of spiritual submission to God and say, okay, well, I guess whatever way you want is the best way. Sur- surrender. I think that's how they start. And that's what we find Jesus doing in Matthew chapter 26. I hope you still have your Bible open because I want to look there we find Jesus praying for himself. It's a good thing. If you're praying for yourself too. And perhaps because of the curse of his omniscience, he can already anticipate the pain and the agony of the cross. Chapter 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a, a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, So the then here is right on the heels of the Lord's Supper. He's been in the upper room with his friends in Jerusalem. And he says to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. So he's got 12 disciples minus one. Judas probably isn't here, we can assume. So he's got 11. He leaves eight out of the 11 behind. And if you're tracking with me, you're doing quick math. That's three left. Verse 37, taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. Uh, This is James and John, like his top three here. They're in the C-suite, I guess. 
Uh, I'm reading Mark's gospel right now. It says that he nicknamed them the sons of thunder, James and John, which I think is so cool. Uh, Just quick aside, this is Jesus who spent years with his friends. He gave his buddies nicknames, you know, just like we do. The sons of thunder, James and John. Back to the text. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Let's pause right there. You can already taste the agony of the cross. He's sweating drops of blood. Luke's gospel tells us the real medical condition still experienced today by those who've experienced extreme trauma and stress. You go on to read this text. Maybe you remember, you heard Pastor Abel read it just a moment ago, that three times he asks, let this cup pass from me. What if God the Father answers this prayer? Think about that for a moment. What if God the Father says yes to Jesus when Jesus says, let this cup pass from me, the cup of suffering that he's about to endure? If God the Father answers that prayer according to the will of Jesus, at least in the first part of this prayer, that means that none of us are here today. And there's nothing on the wall behind me. Because there's no cross. What if God the Father answered all of your prayers according to your will? Would that really be for your good? And for that matter, do you trust yourself well enough to know that what you're praying for is actually for your good? I found myself over the course of the last couple of months hearing myself pray something similar in some very different circumstances. I found myself praying, Lord, I mean, I'm just not sure what to pray. And not just because I didn't know what was best, but because I wasn't sure about which of the things I was praying for were even the right things, that those things were the right things to be praying for in the first place. Perhaps I'm echoing something that we hear Paul say in Romans chapter 8. We heard a portion of this chapter a couple weeks ago. Paul has talked about how we have been adopted and we have the right as sons and daughters to boldly come to the Father and to call him Abba, Father, which is Daddy, which means we don't have to use special words like thys and thous and your divine will, whatever it is. What we heard ChatGBT suggest for us a few moments ago. No, that we can use our own words to pray to him. And so after that, Paul goes on to say, we have this right, we've been adopted, and even as we live in the creation until he returns, we've been groaning. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 8. That the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. What does that sound like? Think about that. Is it audible? Is it Is it some form of supernatural language? And he who searches hearts 
knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, that's you, according to the will of God. Let's go back one slide just for a moment. I love the way one theologian says it like this. That because these words are true, when you pray, God gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. You may know what to pray and you may not know what to pray. You may be praying for the right things or the wrong things altogether. And because these words are true, God gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. So when you say the words, thy will be done, it's more than just surrender. It's a battle cry. It's a battle cry for good against the things that are aligned against the will of God. It'll make you bold whether you have the right words or not. Uh, let's go to the next slide. Martin Luther, remember we just heard these words? It says, when God's will is done, when he breaks and hinders every evil plan and purpose of, of the things that are aligned against him, that his will, the will of God the Father, thy will is aligned against his will, the devil, and against their will, the world, and for that matter, it's even aligned against your own sinful nature. His will, their will, your will. And so when you pray, thy will be done, you know what you're doing? You're taking up a cry, not simply a white flag of surrender, but you're taking up a white flag or a flag of battle where you go into battle against the forces of evil that are aligned against the will of God. You're doing spiritual warfare when you pray, thy will be done. You're inviting God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. You're inviting God to make his name hallowed and holy and honored in all of creation, not just among you, but among all of creation. And that involves you by your prayer. It comes through you by your prayer, but once again, it is not up to you. It is up to him. He breaks and hinders every plan of the evil one. May that make you bold in the way that you pray. I mean, not just, well, God, you know, I guess I surrender to your will. Would your will be done? No, my friends. Thy will be done. When we find Jesus praying, it's not like the way that we pray here in the garden. You know, for us, it's, you know, come with a request, time goes by, then later we submit to him and surrender. What do we find in the way that Jesus prays? Bold request and immediately humble surrender. Remember, take this cup from me and immediately thy will be done. Not my will, but your will. Usually we wait to pray this until we're out of options. Jesus prays it right away. And you say, okay, well, you know, that's Jesus. Easy for him. Is it? Knowing full well what's ahead of him? It's probably harder for him than it is for you. How can you have the power to pray, thy will be done, and to mean it. Because at the end of the day, whether you're bold or not, and whether you've moved from micro to macro or not, whether you're still playing, whatever you may be praying for, at the end of the day, you've got to surrender to. You've got to lay down your list before his feet and his throne. For that matter, you've got to lay down your life and say, this is more than just my list, Lord, I give you myself 
How can you surrender your list, and for that matter, your life and your eternity, how can you surrender those things to him? It's only when you see the one who surrendered himself for you. That over and over throughout the scriptures, the cup was a symbol of the just wrath of God poured out on those who had turned from him or had done evil against him or his people. He didn't have to say, not my will, but your will be done. I mean, remember, he's got three disciples with him, and the other eight are way over there, and the three that are with him are asleep. He could have slipped away into the dark, and nobody would have known the difference for that matter. We would know, because we wouldn't be here today. He could have avoided the pain and the agony of the cross altogether, and taken that for his own comfort. What we find here instead is Jesus in the garden giving up control of the outcome of his circumstances, and he's doing so for you. And what we find is Jesus in the garden giving up what was rightfully his a comfortable life in heaven to instead experience the pain and agony and the brokenness of creation that is awaiting him in fullness as it reached its climax upon the cross and the just wrath of God, the cup of wrath, of judgment poured out on him instead of you. Have we seen this scene before? Over and over throughout the New Testament, Paul goes on to call Jesus the second Adam. Because in the first garden, with the first Adam, God the Father said to Adam, he said, obey me about the tree, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Obey me about the tree and you will live. But he didn't, Adam didn't. And he died and now so will we. And so here in Matthew chapter 26, we find the second Adam in a garden. And here God the Father says to his son, obey me about the tree, and not you will live. He says, obey me about the tree, and you will die. And he did. And he did that for you to say thy will be done is more than just a general abstract plan for your life that you may know a little of or a lot of. This is Jesus in the garden headed to the cross, not counting the cost for you. And because he loves you, he has involved you in his kingdom that you might belong to him and live under him forever. It's the only way that you can surrender your list and your life and yourself and your eternity to him when you see him surrendering himself out of love in an even greater way for you. You say, well, what do I, why do I have to give something up? Jesus says, look what I gave up, simply to have you. He's not asking you to do anything more than he has already done to a greater degree for you. So someone says, Oh, that's great. That's good. And I receive that. I rest in that. I celebrate that. But I'm still a bit restless because 
how do I know that what I'm doing and the way that I'm living and the decision that I have before me is God's will? Let me tell you this, that if you belong to him, he has already done the greatest thing that he will ever to do to enact his will for you by sending Jesus to die and to rise and to return for you. And so if you're looking for an answer to the will of God in your life, the first direction to look is not forward. The first place to look is back in time to see what he has done on a macro level to die and to rise for you that you might belong to him so that you might be involved in his family, so that you might be his by grace forever. First, you gotta look back. You gotta start by looking in the right place and only then can you look forward into the future and know that he will return to defeat the evil one and to defeat death, which has its sting even now, but it will be gone once and for all upon the day of his return. We have that clearly revealed to us in the scriptures about the future that awaits you if you belong to him, Christian. And so what that means for you and for me, for, that for everything in between these events, when we look back and we look forward, that everything in the present day is Christian freedom to love in the time that God has given you with the gifts that he's given you and the vocations that he has entrusted you with. It's Christian freedom. It's up to you in a good way to use the time that you have before it's gone. And that means the pressure's off. That there may not be one way. And there may not be one person. There may not be one job or one place. It could be both places. It could be neither place. But you can't screw it up because we know that God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And nothing that you can ever do, your mistakes or your goodness, can ever screw up or enhance the unstoppable plan of God for you. And so may you rest in the one who has already done the greatest thing in history to enact his will, to die and to rise for you. May you rest in his work for you. And may your prayers move from micro to macro, not just about yourself and God's plan for you. Start there. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but open them wide and pray for God's kingdom to come to you and through you and for all of creation, from micro to macro, and from a cry of surrender, give it to him. Pour it at his feet, but take up a cry of battle and know that you're doing spiritual warfare against the evil one, and it's not up to you, it's up to him. In the name of Jesus, the one who came and the one who will come, who invites you to pray, thy will be done. Amen.